everyone, and welcome to the AWS Developers Podcast. I'm co-hosting today. My name is Brooke Jamison. I'm a senior developer advocate at AWS. I am co-hosting with Dave. Say hey to the podcast, Dave. Hey, podcast. <laughs> and we are joined by Fei Yuan and Aletha Parkerwood, who are both principal engineers with Amazon DataZone. So Fei, you can go first, and then Aletha after that. What's the most exciting part of 2023 for you so far? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Brooke and, and Dave. I'm really excited about this DataZone, and we just won GA uh, on October 5th. So Congrats. Yeah. It is, I think this has been teams have been working together for, for a long time and we're really excited about it. So a little bit introduce introduction about myself. Uh, as Brooke mentioned, I'm a principal engineer in Amazon. Uh, I, I am on the data zone team and my responsibility is to lead the design implementation of it with product and tech teams. So before that I've been with Amazon for eight plus years and I think this is useful for the for the data zone because I build various systems and projects related with data, ML in selling partner services, retail, Amazon business payments, and even cryptocurrency and, and IDM, Alexa AI. And the interesting thing here is that when I look at all these projects in the, in the past, they all require some kind of a data discovery, consuming, pr pr data producing. And, and then whether you run an ETL jobs or, or using our extra bytes of distributed data lakes or generate offers and things like that, they, they all use data, it's very important. And, and then here, this is a really good opportunity for us because we can address this problem space, making all this solution work together, what is analytical ML together. And then also, I'm pretty happy that now I can go back to my previous teams and tell them, hey, you have data zone, you can use it to help you to manage your data uh, and etc. So here, that's, that's why we, we are here. Thank you. So good. Yeah, and back to you, Aletha. What's the most exciting part of 2023 for you so far? Uh, I think there are two things in 2023 that have been amazing for me. One of them has been the Data Zone launch. I'm so excited to be here to watch it come across the finish line. And uh, the other thing that's been very exciting for me has actually been uh, being moved into the Data Zone team. So the team that I was working on joined the data zone team pretty late in the game i'm very excited for you know getting to work with this amazing team getting to realize this great vision for um being able to manage and govern data uh so a little bit about my background as well so i came into amazon about three years ago as actually the principal privacy engineer for amazon devices so my background was in privacy and data governance and i spent a lot of time working with teams that needed access to data to do their jobs making sure that people had the right access at the right times to the right things uh, i've also been on the other side of the table i did a long stint working in machine machine learning and ai ran a machine learning research lab for a couple of years so i've also been on the other side of the table saying please just give me access to the data i just need the data that i need to do my job and i need to understand what it is and where it came from so i think uh data zone is so exciting for me because as uh as both somebody who manages data and somebody who has used data a lot over the past i think this is such a cool set of tools and it's going to make people's lives so much easier yeah, I worked in machine learning consultancy firm in the leadership team before I came to AWS. And I think data governance was something that I had the most conversations about, even though 
the conversation started talking about machine learning and they went back to talking about governance in so many cases. Um, do either of you have any good points? We were talking earlier about the problem space that you're exploring as part of DataZone. Is there any really big problems for users that stand out that were big motivations for why DataZone exists and then how it solves those for customers? If I if I were to think about it, there's just there's a few a few problems for that customers are facing. Um, the, the first problem is about being able to find their data, being able to catalog, being able to find their data across different different uh, for example places or different systems, different accounts, and that has been pretty challenging. And, and then and also allowing uh, different teams to work together. In a, in a way that's that's more of a distributed fashion. That's a that's something that that takes challenge. And then and then on top of that, um, once you know where the data is, being able to access them in a, in a controlled fashion and understanding who can access what and at what purpose, that's another challenge. And and then from there, uh, that how do you integrate that? So, so even though you say you can access it, but there are different tools out there. Different AWS already have a lot of tools. There's also also other tools on analytics ML. How do you get the access into the tools? That's integrated with your with what you want to do. So so a lot of these um, having people to to try to put a solution together, or or um, or understanding different tools and, and making user to go through this this complicated setup or uh, control that's pretty hard. So the main challenge is is really we we need a better um, distributed uh, data mesh product that can that can handle this end to end experience. Yeah, I think one of the things that I love about DataZone as a product is that you know, people have a bunch of different tools that they use for different reasons, different needs. We have a database for every work, <laughs> every use case under the sun. But uh, I love that DataZone gives you sort of a unified set of abstractions to take that you know, that whole pile of data and users and tools and bring them all together in a way that's easy to understand, easy to manage, easy to know who's getting access to what. So I think regardless of whether you're trying to get access to data or share data or manage the people who are accessing data, I think there's something for everybody here. Yeah, I love that. So when I was writing code every day and I started out my main job actually was in pharma. And there was a lot of things with FDA regulation, like CFR 11. And if I messed something up, like if I was distributing packages, this is Microsoft through SMS. If I hit a machine that was doing FDA trials, I could invalidate millions of dollars of worth of research, <laughs> right? And so mm -hmm. as a developer, I was so nervous about what are these concepts? You know, like what should I have access to? What am I allowed to touch? I know what I could do as far as code, but I'm not sure what data I have access to and if I'm hurting anything, if I'm benefiting anything. And so for the developers that are listening to this and they're dealing with that problem every day, what are the new concepts here? You know, what are the the problems, uh, you know, the features and like how does DataZone address those problems for developers? Well, why don't we do a high level overview? Maybe Faye, you can take that and yeah. then uh, I can I can start with a deep dive into the foundational layer, which is catalog. Go ahead, Faye. Right. Um, I, I think you are you're touching upon the new concepts, how we how we address these problems. So so there are 
there are four, at least four concepts that we'll probably talk about in this, in this podcast. And there are more that we can talk about more in the future. Yeah. So the first one is catalog. And I kind of mentioned about it. How do you get the data together? Uh, and then especially when you, you have different places of the data coming in different accounts and different systems produced for human. And the second one is about project. Um, project is a concept that we're really pushing because a lot of time when people are accessing, um, there is a missing element about why are you accessing the data? For what intention? The business use case, that part is missing. So we'll talk about a little bit more and why that, that matters. And then the third piece is environment. <clears throat> so environment, um, remember we talked about there's different tools out there. Uh, AWS itself already has a lot of tools, analytics, EMR, Redshift, Athena, all those tools. And then on the ML side, there's SageMaker, there's also quite a few others. So how do you get these tools wiring them together and getting the right, um, have the project be able to, to work on this environment? That's a third concept that we'll talk about. And then the last one is about access. I'm not sure if, um, if people have thought about this. Just having a catalog out there is not enough. You can find things, but then uh, and what do I do? Do I make a call to the person who owns the data, ask, asking the person to please give me access or change IAM policy, change something here and there. And that is, first of all, it's pretty tedious. Second, it's pretty hard to control. So, so DataZone has that concept, whether it's catalog or project environment, to have the access uh, fulfilled throughout the entire system. So those are the main four concepts that we'll go through today. Lida. Sure. So I can, I can take it from there. So let's spend a little time talking about the foundation of DataZone, which is the catalog. Uh, DataZone is based on a data mesh architecture. So we recognize that uh, data is in certain stores and certain systems for a reason. And you would rather not move it around just to be able to discover or to manage it. So data stays resident in the places, the accounts, the data stores, where it should be. And then Data Zone is responsible for stitching those different data sources together into a catalog so that people can discover what data is out there. They can find data to do their jobs. Uh, we talk about uh, things like reducing time to insights, making sure people can find and use what they need. So the, at the heart of Data Zone is this catalog, which takes in data from many different AWS accounts, we call these data sources. And then once the data is brought into the catalog, you can then enrich that with a bunch of additional business context. So we offer things like metadata forms, which will allow you to apply business terms to your data. You can say, this is a sales data set. This contains marketing data. This contains personal data. Uh, so you can really richly annotate the data so you understand what it is, how it's appropriate to use it, um, and what sorts of uh, access control might apply to it, for example. And because we know this, doing this manually is a really huge pain point for customers, we also do things like automating uh, business name generation. So as you bring your data into the catalog, we can actually automatically enrich it using machine learning and give you a human-readable description of a data column. You know, people who develop schemas aren't necessarily thinking about somebody who doesn't understand the data set. And so we can do things like taking CID and saying, okay, this is a customer ID. We understand um, what this is. And so we can help you understand the data set, annotate it, bring it in, and then make it available for uh, sharing and consumption. Yeah, I, 
how is this related to the glue catalog and technical metadata? And I, you know, as someone who has such experience in privacy and data, how do you define, do you define that? You know, it, it, it's for people who don't know at Amazon, we go through a lot of training around what defines these different pieces of privacy. You know, what is a, mm -hmm. a you know, a, a person's name, a person's email, a person, how, how does that relate into this? Because I feel like as a developer, you're constantly thinking about, you know, what am I accessing? And is there any kind of layers that separate this, that kind of protects me? So I don't have to worry about that. How does that all integrate? And what do you, what is your view on, on those areas? Yeah. Great questions, both of them. Um, so let me take the glue one first. Uh, so glue technical metadata and the glue catalog is really intended for programmatic consumption. You're looking at things like data types. You're like, this is a number, this is a string. What can I do with this particular piece of data? But it doesn't tell you anything about the contents. It doesn't tell you anything about the semantics, the use cases. It doesn't tell you if this string is an email address or if it's a person's name or, you know, if it's a entire book. So you really need another semantic layer on top of that to help you understand the data so that you can actually make use of it uh, and so you know what uses are appropriate. Uh, so I think one of, the, one of the great things about DataZone is that because we have this nice and rich catalog, you can start to apply a lot of these semantic classifications that people need and use to, <laughs> people need to use for data governance purposes. You can say this table contains personal data and because it contains personal data, here's an access control policy that says if you haven't gone through personal data training, you can't touch this table. Uh, so that's the kind of really powerful uh, constructs you can get once you actually have some notion of the semantics of the data. So it's it's really helpful. And then you can layer other types of governance over the top of that even to, to understand how it should be handled, uh, what sorts of processes it should be subject to. So it's just, it's super powerful. Do you think there's any big misconceptions about DataZone as a service, given that there are so many analytics and so many different types of data services on AWS? Do you think there's a big misconception about how it fits in or what it does? Hmm, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think there are... Yeah, there are a lot of different analytics services. I think it depends on which angle you're coming in from. We do certainly get a lot of questions about uh, glue, glue data catalog, for example. How is, why is this not glue data catalog? I think as we go through some of the other concepts, we'll touch on some of the things that are similar and, and why this is why this is helpful or why this layers over the top of it. Like I think we'll talk about, for example, how this relates to lake formation, which, you know, people love lake formation. We're going to talk about access control. And people ask us rightly, like, okay, well, lake formation does access control. Why do I need data then? So I think uh, we'll, we'll get to that towards the end. I think if I, if I were to just, uh, just maybe, maybe quickly uh, summarize the, the, maybe the answer to, to your question, Brooke, is just that there's always a, it's an integrated, solution it was integrated solution that's also the the main part of, part of it is a user facing and user facing so instead of only asking the cloud engineers to to put things together and then, and then develop another solution because i think a lot of enterprise or company they have to do that anyway 
I mean, they, they have to do that before data zones in the place. So we really want to provide that type of solution, integrated system for, for our end users and wiring these things together. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The the really interesting thing about data zone is yeah, some in some cases we have multiple services that sort of overlap and do the same thing. Uh, in this particular case, I think data zone, I think more of as like a, a coordination layer or an abstraction layer. So it doesn't really it doesn't take away the need for lake formation necessarily. It just makes it easier to work with lake formation. It makes sure that the right permissions are landing in the right places, for example. Or, um, you know, it leverages Glue Data Catalog and then pairs that with semantic metadata. So it's really, I would say it's beautifully complementary to almost all of the other services that we have. And in most cases, our whole goal is to make it easier to work with each of those analytics services. I think Faye alluded earlier to things like Athena and SageMaker. Um, so the whole goal is to yeah. make our lives easier as data consumers in each of these services or as data, data producers, data stewards. Yeah. I think sometimes people think user experience is like what color a button is or how a website looks or something, but this seems to be a great example of what user experience looks like when your users are data consumers. Just this layer you can add on that helps that integration so people can collaborate a little bit easier. And on the collaboration, the C word, it's just... I think people get scared of governance as a word because it sounds scary to them. But in most cases that I've seen, governance is all about making collaboration possible and more scalable. Can anyone talk me through how that governance works to enhance collaboration within DataZone and maybe step by step what that process would look like? Okay. So so the second, so Alita went through the catalog. That's the, that was the first thing. And the second thing is the project. And the way we think about this is that you can, you without project, for example, today, you can give permission to people, to users, to users, to groups. And and then the problem with that is exactly what group you were asking about. It's very difficult for people to collaborate because I can bring in some permission. I can access these three, three S3 buckets or these little tables and, and then Lita will have access to another two or maybe she doesn't. Then how do I give data to her or how does she give data to me one way or another, we don't have equal access to the same thing that we need to collaborate on, right? Even though we're working on the same thing. And that's one. And that often leads to people just give everything to everyone. Uh, and that is not a very good idea, especially when you're working on a project that have different, maybe different rules, different regulations, because essentially you are over-permissioning. Over-permissioning means you can think about, I come to a room and this room is supposed to deal with uh, maybe healthcare data. Uh, and you, when, the moment you enter the room, you should not have access to other data. You should only be accessing data as everyone else in this same room. And that's the way that we should think about it. So project is providing this type of role. It has two things. One is that project is a bundle of resources. You have a list of maybe tables, uh, assets, data that the project has access to. And then the second thing is that project has a bunch of people that work together and, and the moment that people come in here, it's acting as a role. So you're coming in and then you are only assuming or taking this project. That's your intent. That's your context of working on things. That's how we, how we put in the permission together. It, it helps with collaboration, reduce single point of failure, and, and it does a bunch of things. But it does take some, some, um, uh, it does some, take some effort for people to understand that, um, when people are working on projects, they are really, they need to think about this as a context instead of just as, a, as an individual personal level. 
Yeah, I. So it, it's funny. Me always being a developer. My brother, he he's worked for Gartner, uh, director over there, and he he was always the security person. So for me, it's admin access on everything. And as far as he's concerned, I only have access to Notepad. You know, and it's that it's that constant battle. And so I super appreciate you for kind of breaking that out, right? So from what I'm hearing you say, a project, so it's this bundle of resources, it's it's the business intent, it's an intent versus what my organization might look like, right? And you're looking at avoiding that cross contamination. How does that tie into environment? So like developers are listening to this and they're like, how is this different from Redshift, Athena? You know, how are you constraining things and how does that map back to the the project when I'm looking at environment? Okay. So the environment um project that I project that I talked about, we have not touched about any physical physical resources so far, right? right. Because project we're thinking about this is a logical container of resources, but it does not uh people cannot do too much unless they have some tools to interact with it. So environment is the place where now I have a project. Now I have the resources. Now I have the data asset that project have subscription, for example, entitlement to those access entitlement. But then people need to interact with it. So they do need to, for example, spin up an Athena environment, Athena query to be able to query the data assets that as a member of the project, you have access to. But that's, right. that's, that's pretty, pretty useful, right? And also now if you want to, you want to run some more, some maybe I should run some more queries. Then you you spin up another environment uh, that that environment you use that environment to access to interact or consume or produce whatever the assets that pertain to this project. So it is really the place that you you do things there. And of course, we have more concepts behind, uh, such as you, you probably see from the documentation that there's blueprints behind. Blueprints is the one that that uh, tells you how the environment should be constructed. And then, and then we will be we at GA. We're we are launching Redshift. We're launching Athena, and in the future, we'll launch more. And we'll also allow customers to bring their own. Yeah, Aletha, you must have some perspectives on this from an access and security perspective as well. Is there anything you wanted to add to this? Yeah, I think one of the they sort of alluded to this under projects, and I think it is one of the more powerful and one of the other very powerful aspects of DataZone is that. Uh, the catalog that I mentioned earlier is just a metadata layer. So you don't have data access. You're able to see what's, you're able to see the structure of the data. You're able to see metadata about it, but to actually go and get access to it, you need to request access and you need to request access for a project and an environment where it makes sense for you to have that access. So access control policies in DataZone are super, super rich. Uh, we can do a lot to say um, what types of data you're allowed to access, uh, what purposes data is allowed to be used for. Um, you know, we are working on uh, increasingly rich, first role-based and then attribute-based access control. Uh, and we, are always working to integrate deeper and deeper with lake formation. So, um, you know, we we try to take advantage of all of the access control constructs under the hood. So the, really the ultimate goal is the, the project and the environment define what you're gonna have access to, and then 
there's a whole bunch of nitty gritties around access control that nobody loves. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard people say you need a PhD just to use IAM. So, uh, if someone loves of- access management and IAM, please send us a note to the podcast <laughs> on the show notes page because we want to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> No, everyone, everyone loves IAM. It is the easiest of our tools to use. That's what I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so DataZone takes care of a lot of the heavy lifting around access control. So project and environments define what you can get access to. And then we actually do a lot of work under the hood to manage uh, grants and entitlements for projects and environments. So you can just get access to data. You don't have to fuss around. You don't have to go find an IT admin to give you the grant. Uh huh. DataZone takes care of all of that mess for you. And nice. it can also, yeah, when the project ends, you can tear the access down so you don't have problems like oh. baselining and which, again, like everybody loves doing baselining. Yeah, and, and I think this is a really important point that what Alita talked about. Uh, there are, I think we should, we, 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 you should think about access with DataZone in a three, three layers. So the first layer is, is we, we call it access access agreement. Um, that's where you set up your policies about what type of uh, what what line of business, what type of projects can access what kind of data assets. And, and data assets, you, you can also specify whether it's, whether it's in Europe or in North America or, or that type. So essentially, you just have a, some some kind of um, agreement at a very business oriented policies that you set. Uh, and then the second level, um, we call it access entitlement. That's where DataZone also handles that. Uh, it will inject, it will, uh, fulfill the, um, the actual access, uh, maybe a configurations or access entries in the data ecosystem, such as late formation grants. So, so it's just you, it's taking from the access agreement that, that business users set on the top and then will fulfill to the, to the lower level. And that level actually goes back to the environment. Remember I talked about environment. When you come to the environment, you probably people know, unless you configure the environment role or, or the, the principle of the environment, you cannot access anything unless you give a start that uh, what, uh, what Dave is doing. I mean, <laughs> what prefer to do it, it's the wrong person. Oh so, my goodness, yeah. Everybody gets everything. I mean, yes. Yeah. Music so, to Dave's ears. Exactly. I, mean, yeah. I, I come from, so I mean, I did the chief evangelist role in Alexa for six years, and we started using Lambda as a way to create Alexa skills, and IM became a huge barrier. And I can't tell you how many times exactly what you're talking about. It's like, what permissions do I give this? If it's not for, like, what do I do? And what? And so this is music to my ears. I love this, to be able to just come in and up. It's taken care of. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. Just like for example, Alita gives gives a, a data asset permission to, to Dave, and Dave is using uh, a Cena query, a Cena environment. But what does the Git mean? It really should be translated into the role that Dave is using in the Cena or, or the work group automatically now has access to only to the assets that Lead has given to this project. So that's the second layer of uh, access entitlement. And the last layer is more of an individual tools, like NLT tools and ML tools where they will use the entitlement in late formation or IAM and, and then enforce during the query time, during the during data retrieval time. So those are the three layers of access that they have on covers. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting thing about that top layer, that access agreement layer, is that historically you've given access to Dave. 
you're like, Dave, you specifically get access to the store. But instead, you can say, Dave, why don't you join this project? We're going to be working on a podcast together. You get access to all of the resources that we're all using. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're not, yeah. Uh, and your data governance person says, okay, you know, Dave can have access to this because he's an Amazon full-time employee. Uh, so nobody Governance doesn't have to think about Dave. Dave, you don't have to get explicit permissions. You just say, I'm working on a project and I have permissions to join it. And then all of your data access flows right along with it. I love that. It's mapping back to projects from our environment and our access is kind of integrated within that and then enforced through that Yeah, lens. exactly. Exactly. Just mapping back to real life. That's the thing. <laughs> it makes more sense because if you're working in a team, you're saying, oh, we're in a team doing this. So it's bringing out, this is why I think it's a user experience tool more than a data tool for most things. It's just bringing it back to how people actually do their jobs. Yeah, um, absolutely. One thing I had written on my notebook before we started, which we haven't really talked about yet, is the word extensibility. So I guess for developers and engineers who are building on AWS, um, what opportunities does the data zone API and extensibility provide for them? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we're working towards is giving users the ability to define their own custom asset types. So we know that, you know, data has different use cases. There are different types of annotation you might want to apply to it. There are different ways you might want to bring that data into the catalog. So uh, we want we want data owners to be able to define and explain what the type of their data is so we can give them the richest possible cataloging experience. So I think that's one of the interesting points of extensibility. Yeah, and then the other the other ones, um, some of them are still being being developed. We'll we'll provide more details in the future. We talked about environments and then the blueprints, right? Because you need some kind of blueprints that helps you uh, helps you to define the environment type. Right. And today we have Redshift, we have Athena. In the future, we'll have more, and we'll also allow uh, allow uh, the engineering teams on the customer side to be able to define their own. Uh, and today we have event based so that you can you can roll out your environment and then send us events uh, and, and then and then data zone will will then provide the access fulfillment with your environment. But I think this will just you can you can see that you can expect that there will be more and more extensibility on, on this part. Uh, and then that also applies to subscription, uh, subscription access fulfillment. If you have a different system uh, outside of data zone, but you still want to have enjoy the entire catalog or access agreement, then um, we can we can federate to to other systems in the future to, to be able to do the to the access fulfillment. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I love all this information. And what I want to know from you, what is the one thing that like advice that you could give any organization looking to improve, you know, governance, access control, now is your chance. You know, we've got all these people listening. What do you want them to know before they're in the console? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where would I start? Uh, right. I think coming in from the data governance and privacy side, I would say that uh, one of the biggest pain points I have seen customers express over and over and over again is just the challenge of staying on top of what you have, where it is, what's happening with right. it, uh, who has access to it. So I think... Um, the fact that DataZone allows you to do an inventory of your data, to do some of this annotation work automatically, which is such a manual nightmare today, 
and then to be able to do these access grants and bundle people together so it's a lot easier to understand who has access to what and to manage the grants and um, you know, as people leave projects, take them away. So I think it's just, there are so many bits of manual work that uh, people have to do today to manage data access. And I feel like data zone just makes it so much easier. Uh, but I would say, you know, don't, uh, don't underestimate the human element. Like don't underestimate uh, if you're a CIO or a CISO, don't underestimate how much manual work people are doing today just to, to keep you in compliance or to make your data sharing use cases work. Like, Yeah. And that's all time they could be spending doing something innovative or different. It's <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I always say that data governance is a tax on your business. Like you should, you absolutely have to pay your taxes. Like don't skimp on your taxes, but if you can find ways to reduce your burden, that's something that you can invest in your future instead of overhead. So do it yeah. in, yeah. Like take advantage of the tools that are available to you. Yeah. And I'll add to that is, is that humans, human in the, in the, in this part of the equation is the hardest thing. Anytime you deal with, with human in the system. So, so I would, I think I would recommend um, our, our listeners to when, when you are planning out your data strategy, in your, your organization, try to automate. Automate as much as you can using policies, using authorizations, policies, uh, reduce manual work because we, we have, I mean, we have been to many businesses, uh, a lot of big teams or projects, and we can see that even, even you can, for example, you can set the best approval system out there or have people to, to go through. But the moment you, you set up, people at the end of the day will just say, Oh, whatever. I will just uh, approve <laughs> or just give access to everything. Yeah. So, it has to be <laughs> I love that. Approved. That's right. That's, that's what it's to start. Start, start at the end. No, my favorite thing about especially developers, but humans in general, is that they will find the easiest way to do something. So if the easiest and most convenient opportunity is just to right. smash the approve button, <laughs> that maybe won't end up the best long term. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, em Emily Freeman. Yes, she has this book, DevOps for Dummies. And one of the things I really love, which she focuses on, is that your your target is human beings. Like human beings are beautiful, but we're all over the place, and sometimes we're chaos. And I love that you point that out too. You know, is don't forget at the end of the day, you're not dealing with an algorithm; you're dealing with human beings. And exactly what uh, Brooke said, you know, is. I may take a shortcut. I may try and figure out I need to get this done and I'm not going to follow this policy. So however you can automate that is is beautiful. So thank you for pointing that out. Right. Like good UX is just making it easy to do the correct thing. Like that's what good UX is. Anytime you're having to fight with it, it's like I always used to tell people if they're doing something weird with pivot tables in Excel, there's almost definitely a better, more streamlined way to do that at scale. Like anytime people are fighting to try and do the correct thing, that's not going to work out. So that's why I really like from this perspective how streamlined it makes it across, especially with all the integrations, so people can actually do the right thing. I guess we started the podcast asking what you were most excited about what's already happened this year. Um, but to end on the same note, I guess, what are you both excited about leading into the end of 2023 and maybe even 2024? I think to me, this is just the beginning. <laughs> this is the beginning. <laughs> we, will, we, we are really excited that 
um, the Amazon, AWS, we are, we have launched this data zone, uh, data zone product. And then, and then there's so much, so much more that we will do. We can do, we, we will do to, to help our customers. So, so I'm really excited that this is there. And also I'm part of the team to, to see this happen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely plus one to that. I think I'm really, I'm really excited to see a lot of the data governance features mature. I'm excited to hear how it's landing with customers and what what the next big thing is that we can do to make their lives easier. Uh, so cannot cannot wait to hear how things are landing and start building the next tranche of features. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. For the developers that have listened to this and decided they wanted to get started learning DataZone and figuring out how they can integrate it with everything else they're running. Do you have any great starting points for them, how they can get started learning more? I hear we have a lovely website on AWS. Yes, (laughs) I'll add that to the show notes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, I would say absolutely dive into the show. Um, I think there are some uh, really nice video starters. uh, And of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to hear directly from customers. So I would love it if folks are interested. They're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Please, please just um, um, you can you can find us probably on LinkedIn, and, and then if you have questions or or general thoughts, suggestions, and your use case, we're really happy to hear and then incorporate them because we are we can make we can make things happen. We can make changes. So we really want to get all your your feedback and see how we can improve it. Yeah, this is a thing I tell to so many builders when I meet them at conferences. Like lots of times you hear companies say, oh, let us know if you have any questions. But we actually 100% mean it. I have an AMA that's open all the time and people's questions from there directly. That's how I make content because I find if someone's asking this question, it can't be the only person. So if you're looking at the docs maybe and there's something that you don't know how that's going to work with maybe the access management your company uses or something else that you think is a weird edge case it's actually probably not a weird edge case <laughs> so definitely reach out to Faye and Aletha on LinkedIn if you have specific questions because you never know you might not actually be the only one thinking about it so it's super helpful yeah and I'll add that to the show notes and I I always feel a little guilty doing stuff like this because I'm taking you away from building products so thank you. Congratulations on the release of this. Super appreciate your time for being able to explain this and for developers to understand that we're all people. Like you're building these things. You understand pain points. It's not a faceless, just, you know, part of Amazon. You actually want to see this uh, continue to iterate and really help solve problems for people every day that are are working with data. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure. It's been so nice talking to both of you. So thank you. Thank you, Brew and Dave. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much. Let's hear the bye. Oh, I have to do this every episode. Bye.